I'm going to set this right here. Nobody touch anything for just one second. Okay. <laughs> He's like, no, do not put that down. <laughs> He's just getting closer. Okay. I'm just going to say, I'm going to set this giant thing of water right in the middle for the whole Not entire podcast. Are they trying to balance it on the backs of both computers? Yeah. <laughs> Seriously, just to I'm going to build a card house and set this on the top of it. Okay, um, and actually... everyone, and welcome to The Protagonist Podcast, where each week we look at a great character and a great story. I'm Joseph Tarowski. And I'm Todd Mack. This week, we are not looking at a great character and a great story. It is a special elevator pitch episode. In the past, we've done an episode where we pitched uh, TV series. Today, we are pitching films. Our producer, Andrew, has given us each a list. The same list, I should say. And it contains a film genre, a director, and a star. And then Todd and I had to write a film synopsis for what would be produced with that combination. Yes, I made uh, seven different combinations of uh, genre, director, and starring actor or actress, or is it just actor now? I don't know. <laughs> uh, but it, it's... So there's 21 different uh, different pieces altogether, but seven premises for them to create a script from. So did you basically. have any... Do you have any, like, uh special thought process that went into this no i was just we were talking just totally random we were talking about needing um another pitch episode and so i was thinking of ways to do it i was like what if i just give them these details and we see what they come up with because i was trying to replicate as much as possible the the stuff for your adaptation tv shows which brought us you know the the great uh, things like the miserable John Johnson and Huck and Jim in space, <laughs> and the, okay. uh, what was the wandering zombie one? That oh, was Akira the, the Akira the wandering zombie. zombie, which is which is is still one of the best things that's come out of our <laughs> podcast. Um, and, and so I was trying to come up with a system that would allow you guys to do that, and I'm like, I can't just have them do adaptation again. That's we've okay. done that. All right. So I was I was coming up with something like, well, what if they had to like make a vehicle for an actor and then I was like okay but I need more details to make it tricky so it was genre director actor uh, it was certainly tricky and <laughs> this is one of the hardest things I've had to do for this podcast <laughs> <laughs> so we'll see how it goes I need to flip a coin or any other random object I'm so excited to actually see what is flipped well you know um, he's today. cheated every time <laughs> <laughs> Just flip the phone. You were holding a phone. Yeah. All right. <laughs> if it lands Captain America phone case up, Todd goes first. If it lands touch screen up, I go first. Yes. Captain, Captain America. America phone case. That oh, that Todd. That's me. All right. And uh, for the first uh, setup that that you're going with, it is a sci-fi genre film starring Dwayne the Rock Johnson, directed by Steven Spielberg. Okay. I really struggled with this until I remembered that in the genre of sci-fi is alternate history. So here we go. Okay. The year is 1955. The Germans and Japanese have won World War II and they have conquered all of Europe, Asia, Australia, and North America, along with most of Central and South America and Africa. They are now in what they consider mop-up time as they move through the Pacific Ocean, taking island after island. That is, until they come across the powerful Samoan king, Fetu, who valiantly defends his people against a small group, and Fetu is played by uh, Dwayne Johnson, The Rock, okay. who is of Samoan ancestry, uh, who valiantly, valiantly defends his people against a group of Japanese and Nazi soldiers. Building on the shoulders of that small but costly victory, King Fetu decides to take the fight to the enemy and begins a campaign of sabotage, disruption, and guerrilla warfare that ultimately leads to the freedom of the entire Pacific. The climax of the film is the Samoan invasion and taking of Half Moon Bay in California. Part two of this film is about the liberation of America, and part three of the trilogy is about the final defeat of the Nazis in Europe. <laughs> All right. Okay. <laughs> I did not go that direction. Okay. <laughs> Well, there we go. So, uh, yeah. Steven Spielberg, epic, yeah. action, trilogy, mm -hmm. trilogy, yeah. it's yeah, all there. You went for a, a, a franchise. Yeah, it's all there. Now, in in the tradition of Steven Spielberg directed trilogies, is the second one 
not as good as the first <laughs> one. Uh, <laughs> okay. It's fine. <laughs> it's a rebound for the third, though. Indiana yeah. Jones and the Temple of Doom. Uh, I'm listening to Indiana so, uh, Jones Jurassic minute. Park Lost World. That's not yeah. as strong as Oh, story. yeah. I, I'm, I'm listening to Indiana Jones Minute, and they're on Temple of Doom. So not I'm the greatest thinking, film ever created. But, man... Raiders of the Lost Ark, after listening to Indiana Jones Minute, even better than I always thought. Okay. So you went with our sci-fi premise into the past. This is what I wrote to begin mine. And and this was the hardest one to crack of the seven that were given to me. This was really think This was the first one I gave you guys. Yeah, and you would think saying Spielberg, The Rock, sci-fi, obviously it's going to be a huge hit. It's going to be a summer blockbuster, and it will make tons of money, but I cannot figure out what this film was going to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I began mine, and it, <laughs> this is funny to me, because you went to 1950, was it? Okay, mine. An indeterminate number of years in the future. <laughs> <laughs> Mankind is colonizing the stars. Dwayne The Rock Johnson is Jack Braun, part of a team of astronauts slash scientists slash oh archaeologists. I, okay, stop. I almost wrote this exact synopsis, <laughs> and his name was Jack. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see how exact it is. Okay, moving forward. Are they miners? And they get uh, they get taken by space pirates? No. Okay. 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 No. <laughs> no. No. Okay. No. No. Uh, though I can add a slash minor to this list because. <laughs> Uh, Jack uh, what, Braun. What is it? Is, uh, astronauts? Astronauts slash scientists slash archaeologists slash anthropologists, now slash miners. Miners. We'll add okay. That okay. okay. Uh, they are landing on a deserted planet to study the ruins of an, an abandoned alien civilization. As far as they can tell, the aliens on this Earth-like planet built up an industrial civilization but never developed space travel before something caused a mass extinction of sentient life. They want to study what happened to the native species and determine if this planet would be suitable for colonization. They land near a small city where they will begin their study all as well as the crew settles into the routine of exploration slash data gathering slash study slash etc slash mining yeah (laughs) Uh, one night as our interracial crew of men and women bond while sitting in the basement of a native building uh, they drink and share stories of their closest calls with death in interstellar travel then they hear a noise outside and go out and discover their ship has been destroyed as in it is crushed and compacted into a circle of metal the size of a basketball (laughs) Then the hunt begins as crew members disappear one by one, falling to an unseen foe, except for Dwayne the Rock Johnson. I mean, Jack Braun. Except for <laughs> Jack Braun. Okay. Oh, that's that's it. I, okay. I, I, um, you left the mystery. Alex. Yeah, yeah. I wanted to leave that hanging for the audience. Yes, of course. Yeah. You don't, well, you don't or, want to spoil or, your movie. Exactly. Or the screenwriter. Exactly. <laughs> uh, and it's not because I couldn't think of how... It ended, or of what course. was it? It's because the mystery is. Oh yeah, I'm totally with you. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so, so I was trying to extreme. So Samoan warriors <laughs> leading the victory against charge Nazi. or, against Nazis what, in is, California. Or That's a very Spielberg or, take. Uh, science fiction mixed with a little of the Jaws uh, tension building. Kind of feels like of the, the sound, the abyss, or, uh, uh, or alien, alien, alien. It's a, it's yes, or, alien. or alien, yeah. or Predator. There's any number of films you could start to say this. Yeah, I think feels a bit like this feels like more like Ridley Scott than Steven Spielberg. But, but but no, I was going for the Jaws tension, oh, okay, the, Jaws. the unseen okay. foe that's okay. out there it, picking off okay. people. With a little dash of Indiana Jones, uh, you know, the, right. the, the, the alien archaeologist. The archaeology, yeah. the quote-unquote scientist. Yes, yeah. Join to the Rock Johnson wears glasses in this. <laughs> <laughs> and a tweed suit with elbow patches. I actually really wanted to do, like, an art film with no CGI and, uh, and have... Uh, Dwayne Johnson lose like a hundred pounds for the thing and have it just be an acting role. No action. But I couldn't think of a single thing, so I came um, up with this. Okay. With Fetu, the, uh, the Samoan warriors fighting against Nazis. Listeners, whatever our producer Andrew decides, feel free to write in on the Facebook page with <laughs> yeah, what, your, what you, your choice. You whether like. you agree or disagree with him. Or if you work for Hollywood, feel free to pitch this to someone and we'll help. I think mine could make a boatload of money. I... That's what I'm going with. We just pointed I, out, I'm like, leaning towards Todd. Uh, a half dozen franchises mind ripped off, and all those franchises have made way. money. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to go with Todd's right. Nazi fighting Polynesian. I think it's fair. I mean, anytime um, you can fight Nazis, that's yeah, a winning like, film. Like, I, I also think he embraced a little more thoroughly the the spirit of the challenge and okay. made it a little more Spielberg with Nazi Punto. So, oh, that's, that's true. Spielberg does do an occasional film fighting Nazis. Yes. Uh, some might say his most successful and best films. <laughs> yes. Both uh, serious and, and more popcorn blockbustery. Yes. Okay. Next. 
Uh, next up is a romantic comedy. This For this one, I did give you two uh, leading stars. I gave you Amy Poehler and Nick Offerman, which you are both abundantly familiar with because you've been binging Parks and Rec. Yes. <laughs> Who... In Parks and Rec, they don't share a romantic chemistry. No, so just I, pure friendship. That was part of the challenge, was to say, okay, you have to make their friendship into romance. And their comedy is fine. They can do comedy. We know that. Okay. Uh, and this was to be directed by Wes Anderson. So Nick Offerman is Ron Swanson. Yes. In and Parks he, and Rec. Yes. Also in, in life, more or less. Okay. He, he seems to embrace. And Wes Anderson, known for films such as... Fantastic Mr. Fox, Moonrise Kingdom, Grand Bud- Budapest Hotel. Okay. Uh, the Royal Tenenbaums. Ro- yeah. Um, Rushmore. I'd say out of all, out of the entire list, except for maybe um, one other director, he has the most visually distinctive uh, filmmaking style. Like when you see Wes Anderson screenshots, like it's obviously a Wes Anderson screenshot. Uh, his stuff is almost always symmetrical on screen, like perfectly symmetrical and balanced. He always has things centered. Um, and divided through the middle instead of going with like a thirds, he does a, mm-hmm. a halves okay. um, kind of setup and and some color tones, um, intense color pal- palettes. I also noticed that thing. he. Um, I'm just I'm just gonna say this now. He tends to get uh, large and very uh, high profile casts. Yeah, uh, Bill Murray works with him a lot. Um, he he may come up in mine. <laughs> okay, I, like, All right. like, Bill Murray is almost always in a Wes Anderson film. All right. Uh, so I'm going to be going first. Uh, I forgot to title my Spielberg one. I have titles for all the other ones. I didn't title mine either. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so, so, so I have a title for, for this one. Forgot to... Listeners, give us a title for the the, the Dwayne The Rock Johnson-led Spielberg sci-fi films that were pitched. Okay. Or, or the Ridley Scott sci-fi film that was pitched. <laughs> <laughs> in, in Joseph's case. Yeah. My Wes Anderson directed romantic comedy starring Amy Poehler and Nick Offerman is titled... The Lost Art of Trivet Making. <laughs> so, I wrote a bunch of these synopses after midnight last night. I wrote the sci-fi one five minutes before we started recording. <laughs> and I just realized I used the name Jack twice. <laughs> but I'm just going to go with it. <clears throat> Nick Offerman stars as Jack Cherrywood an artisanal trivet maker who is the last master of the controversial whole tree method of trivet making in which an entire tree is used to make one single trivet. Would you, would you what describe is a, a trivet? trivet? A trivet is the uh, the wooden objects you would set on a counter before you put a hot dish upon them to protect the counter. Oh, yeah. So it's, it's a wooden uh, oven mitt, basically. And he uses an entire tree. That's why it's controversial, Todd. <laughs> to, okay. to make one trivet, he, it's it's very uh, Michelangelin. Yeah, okay. it's like the he, trivet he is in the tree. It, he takes a right. tree and he just cuts away everything that that doesn't look like a trivet. That yeah. isn't okay. A trivet. I got it. Yeah. I got it. <laughs> the opening sequence of the film is a voiceover by Jack Cherrywood describing every step of this process. Obviously, with classic Wes Anderson-style visuals, Jack Cherrywood spends weeks finding the perfect tree, listening to trunks with a stethoscope, licking bark, (laughs) digging soil out from under the roots and smelling it, rubbing leaves across his face, etc. With the perfect tree selected, he fells it with a hand-sharpened axe that has been in his family since 1723, and so on. Ending montage with a perfect trivet. Amy Poehler stars as Gertrude Kensingsworth, an artisanal cast-iron skillet maker, whose family has smelted skillets for seven generations. (laughs) The second sequence of the film is a voiceover by Gertrude Kensingsworth, describing every step of making a cast-iron skillet by hand. For time, I'm going to skip this description. Also, I don't know what that would look like. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I, I, just based on your description of uh, trivet making, I don't think you know what that looks like either. <laughs> How dare you? I did a lot of research for this one. <clears throat> Cherrywood and Kensingsworth are sought out by Mark Colloquialism, a television producer played by Bill Murray, who is casting a new reality TV show, America's Lost Artisans. Though both initially declined, the thought of testing their craft against an artisanal cheesemonger, an artisanal coffee mug maker, an artisanal <laughs> mayonnaise maker, and an artis- <laughs> There's just one more, come on. 
<laughs> you got this. And an artisanal found stick art finder is too great. Oh, what? <laughs> it's found um, art. It's a pile of sticks. Found they, stick art. Yeah, they find the pile of sticks <laughs> and preserve it exactly as it's found <laughs> and present it as art. Now, do they, They're like, not allowed to touch it or adjust it. They so, just gotta lift it out of the earth somehow. It's like the most hipster form yeah. of art that one can imagine. As, as that I could imagine, at least. Okay. I'm sure someone out there might be able to, to imagine something more. But I couldn't think of anything more than that. Uh, so where was I? Artisanal found art stick... No, found stick art finder. Uh, so they uh, meet on the set of uh, America's Lost Artisans. And as the composite competition heats up, so do the sparks between Cherrywood and Kensingworth. There are obvious differences between them. He works with wood. She works with metal. He makes an object upon which heated vessels are set. She makes a vessel to be heated. But can these differences be overcome <laughs> in the heat of competition? Ooh, I like that play. Mm, okay. Interesting. Okay. Thank you. That's what people say when they don't know what to say. So, <laughs> I actually came up uh, with the title before I came up with the synopsis, and then um, subsequently changed the synopsis so much that I don't know how... Uh, closely, it resembles the title anymore. Uh, but the title is How to Marry a Gentleman. <laughs> In a moment of drunken madness, Patricia, played by Amy Poehler, uh, accepts a bet from her two socialite best friends, Mary, played by Marilyn Monroe, and Linda, played by Catherine Hepburn. Wait, okay. so are we, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> we should establish a further rule that came up in, in the, uh... Are we just Grand Moff Tarkin-ing this? And, <laughs> and technology exists now so that the estate of an actor think, or actress can... Uh, I, think I asked said, about this. Yeah, Todd, Todd asked if he could have um, anachronistic uh, actors and actresses. And I said, sure, do what you want. So, Though I guess with the way technology is going, this is not impossible this anymore. This is not impossible <laughs> anymore. Uh, and, and so we will just play as though everyone, all actors and actresses in, in film history are... Is it for for this purpose contemporary? All right, just real quick. If anyone missed the reference to Grand Moff, Moff Tarkin,ing this in Rogue One, there's a character from the original Star Wars named Grand Moff Tarkin who appeared, and he was computer generated to look like the actor Peter Cushing. Yes. Uh, they used his film of his performances and other techniques to try and get as close a match as possible to allow Peter Cushing, who's been dead for I don't know how long at this point, many many oh, years, a while, uh, to appear in a new blockbuster film. So. Yes. Here we go. Um, and that was done not in the style of just de-aging. That was creating pure, pure a, generation a CGI of his, character. Of his, yeah. In a moment of drunken madness, Patricia, played by Amy Poehler, accepts a bet from her two socialite best friends, Mary, played by Marilyn Monroe, and Linda, played by Catherine Hepburn, to see what it would be like to live for one year on $15 per hour. So she leaves her New York City penthouse and moves to Penguich, Utah, where she has a hilarious series of misadventures and draws the unlikely attention of Mechanic Bob, played by Jimmy Stewart, and Sheriff Jim, played by Humphrey Bogart, but ultimately falls for the quiet, aloof Ranger Bill, played by Nick Offerman, who wants nothing to do with her. It's a twist on Will They, Won't They like you've never seen before. Watch out for cameos by Betty Davis, Cary Grant, Marlon Brando, Elizabeth Taylor, and Cecil B. DeMille. Cecil B. DeMille. Cecil B. DeMille. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> I feel like you're you're trying to blind me with that starlight. <laughs> <laughs> sounds like a heck of a film to me. <laughs> Does it sound like a Wes Anderson film? Joseph sounds like a Wes be. Anderson. <laughs> okay, well <laughs> I, I am I'm giving that one to Joseph. Nice. Okay. In, in this case. Uh, Todd, would you like to reveal to the audience something you revealed to us regarding Wes Anderson films? I've never seen a Wes Anderson film. <laughs> which which may have been part of the effect. It's okay. That that cost you that round. I still think uh, it sounds like a heck of a film. So, yes. wait, when you came up with the title, How to Marry a Gentleman, do you know where you were going with that? No, not okay. really. Oh, okay. I just, uh, I, all I wanted was Amy Poehler acting with Marilyn Monroe and Catherine Hepburn. <laughs> and so you came up with the title, How to Marry a Well, it's like a How to Marry a Millionaire, but sort of <laughs> not How to Marry a Millionaire. Gotcha. It's about How to Marry a Gentleman. Gotcha, right. And Nick Offerman, the ranger, would be a gentleman. He would be a perfect gentleman. It's true. Um, Joseph, fun fact, Amy Poehler and Nick Offerman will be hosting a DIY artisanal crafting reality TV show. No. For NBC. Wow. Is this a summer series? Did you know this? Yeah, it's it's in the summer. I I think I told you about it. Andrew had mentioned this to me. 
And when I, I was not initially thinking these artisans were going to be in a reality competition, but then I needed Bill it's, Murray yeah. in there and Bill Murray as a TV executive producer mm-hmm. that, that works. Okay. Uh, but yeah, so if you want to see Amy Poehler and Nick Offerman on a reality TV series about handcrafting things, uh, I'm not saying that they will necessarily be found stick art finders, but um, I, I I looked at the the application for that, and it's a lot of Etsy stuff. There's like scrapbooking and and crafting jewelry making. A lot of glue gun talk was on that, uh, that application. <laughs> glue gun talk. So I'm not saying there won't be found stick art finders, but probably on not. The show. Uh, but they have to go through a series of, of DIY crafting challenges, and I am interested in watching this program. Uh, next up is our coming-of-age story, starring D- Daisy Ridley and directed by Hayao Miyazaki. I'm going to say this is starring the voice of Daisy Ridley That's in my fair. version. Yes. Uh, in your version. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. It's, uh, it's animated. Um, yeah, which is, he is the only other truly, truly very distinctive visual um uh, director like Wes Anderson on this list because it's animated. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I'm first, yeah? Yes. Mayumi oh. Do you have oh, a title? Uh, Mayumi. Mayumi. Is that is that two words or is that a single name? Uh Are you saying my Yumi? No, I'm saying Mayumi, the name <laughs> of the okay. main character. Got it. Voiced by Daisy Ridley. Voiced by Daisy Ridley. Who is Ray. a young Daisy Ridley. Yes. <laughs> Mayumi grows up living in a dump. In fact, in this dystopian future, the entire Earth is heavily covered in trash. Did you do the same thing? There might, no, be, he was, <laughs> there might be a dystopian okay. environmental element. Okay, in my story. I thought you were just saying, huh, this sounds like Star Wars The Force Awakens. <laughs> okay. Mayumi grows up living in a dump. In fact, in this dystopian future, the entire Earth is heavily covered in trash. Although the Earth is now sparsely, only sparsely populated by humans, a few have found ways to stay alive, despite having to battle giant radioactive uh, kaiju, like uh, monsters. Uh, Mayumi's life is particularly difficult since she was orphaned at seven years old and has had to live entirely alone for the past eight years. The real joy of this film is seeing the ingenious, uh, ingenious, sorry, the ingenious Swiss Family Robinson ways she has created an amazing house out of trash. And in seeing the ways, she carves an oasis for herself and her plant and animal friends in a world literally covered with trash. Okay. Joseph? I almost lost it because the phrase Swiss Family Robinson-esque may appear in my story. <laughs> <laughs> Dang it! That was, uh, that was my home run, uh, that was my home run uh, thing there. Okay. I, I, so far, I like it. Okay. All right. So we'll see if Joseph beats it. You may, you may have an advantage going first on this one. This is, I mean, I, I, just wanna, I, I just want you to picture her, like, sort of carving out a space... Yeah. Little flowers, little and little this, brook this, running through. This very much suits Miyazaki. Some very cute animal friends. Okay. Yeah. Alright. Okay. Mine is called Momoko's Walk. It's almost <laughs> just Momoko. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Walk, W-A-L-K. No kids that pronounce it. It's not a cooking vessel. It's I, not I, about a cast iron yeah. cooking vessel. <laughs> I did not return to the cooking vessel well and dip again from oh, those geez. sweet, sweet narrative waters. <laughs> <laughs> Although, now that you say it, <laughs> yeah. there could be something there. Okay. okay. Momoko is a 10-year-old girl who lives in a valley inhabited solely by children. She and hundreds of others have lived for as long as they can remember inside a ring uh, 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 that is a mile and a half in diameter, and it's surrounded by tall pillars of rocks. Uh, and these pillars are, like, so tall, and they're so close together you can't see through them. Like, it's not, there's gaps in these. It's just a wall of rock, basically, surrounds this valley. Uh, they live in a Neverland-esque Ewok Village style, or Swiss Family Robinson style, uh, <laughs> series of tree houses. They have fruit and vegetable gardens, and every day they wake up and play children's games all day long. There's no sign of industrialization anywhere. One day, while playing 
Uh, several round rocks roll down a hill, and while Momoko focuses on them, she suddenly has a flash of memory of seeing tires spinning, and she sees a street with cars on it. This uh, vision of paved roads and rolling machines doesn't match anything in her life, or anything that she can remember, so she tries to forget it. But soon, similar visions keep coming. Momoko and two adults she doesn't remember living in a house. Momoko riding on a bus with other kids, skyscraper buildings and busy streets, etc. Driven by these visions, Momoko begins to wonder what lies beyond the uh, uh the wall of rocks because all their needs are met and every day is similarly perfect no other child has ever done this but momoko climbs to the top of a column and sees that only a short distance away there's another ring but this one is made up of skyscrapers not rocks the buildings are the same height as the rock pillars she has climbed and there's nothing but barren ashy wasteland as far as she can see other than this one ring of buildings. Momoko climbs down her pillar and trudges to the ring of buildings, choking on windswept dust and ash as she does so. When she finally reaches a building, she's able to enter through a door. And she walks into this second ring. Here, she finds an urban city entirely paved and populated by adults who move about robotically. Uh, she spends days there and discovers that every adult has the same daily routine. They wake up, go to one of the office buildings, sit down, and type into computers all day, then return to their homes and sleep. Food appears in grocery stores, and every night, the adults stop on their way, grab some food, and prepare the same meal uh, every single night. The adults barely speak or interact with one another, and there are no children. On her third day there, Momoko recognizes an adult woman from the vision she had. After several attempts to get her attention, the woman recognizes Momoko and starts to have memories of a time before with children and visits to the country and nature, etc. Together, Momoko and her mother realize that something is terribly wrong with how they've been living, and they set out to find what happened. Yeah, uh, something is terribly wrong. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow. Oh, and uh, that was a really uh, a cool overhead shot story. As yeah. she uh, as she's walking, there's an overhead shot of these two rings, and it forms an infinity symbol <gasps> from above. Oh, Wait, I like it. But how close are they to have? There's a, a distance between, but something with the wind lines makes helps ah, connect these like two the, rings. The, yeah, the there's the visually blowing. Yeah, visually, there's around something around them yeah. creates a, like a dust yeah. thing. To... Yeah. All right. Holy crap. That's really good, Joseph. <laughs> this started with me thinking of uh, something with nature, and it started as a bubble of nature that one girl lived in, and then it, was a, it just went from there. It's like, right. no, not a bubble. Which, <laughs> so I, I gotta say, like throughout your first paragraph where it was this Neverland thing yeah. with the kids playing, I was like, I don't care about this. But then you got to the city, yeah, and then I was hooked. Yeah, the twist. Yeah, so end of Act One, was, if you will. That was. <laughs> Pretty good. And I thought Todd had this, but I really want to see Joseph, so okay. I'm sorry, Todd. Oh, all right. was, Someone get Miyazaki on the phone. This, uh, the phone. He has nothing he, going. He needs to he needs come ideas. out of retirement <laughs> yes. again. He has no story ideas, obviously. Um, he could take this one. But I really like both of those. Okay. And I would... I mean, not saying I would watch both of those before I'd watch either of your sci-fi films, but... <laughs> <laughs> Um, but I, I think uh, I'll say this: Don't are... watch either of those films if you're sleepy. <laughs> <laughs> you are gonna be out. Yeah, yeah. The, the There's the a very uh, Wally Wally esque like silent yes. opening sequences kind of where yeah, the totally. action isn't really kicking up till. And I think we both uh, missed the boat with uh, Miyazaki with uh, no real uh, flying. Yes, not lots yeah. of flying. You, you might not have the ma the majesty of flight. <laughs> Todd and I, we, when we were talking about this one, we both said, well, clearly there's going to be something environmental right. <laughs> going yeah. on. And then I also wrote down flight in my notes. I didn't end up doing it. <laughs> we went with it. the environmental and not the flight. Um, I, I, I have got to say, as Joseph was beginning his, I was entertaining thoughts about, uh, what was it, Mo Mokomo? Momo Momoko? Momoko's uh, Walk? Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I was entertaining thoughts about uh, a, cooking. A, a, a cooking film <laughs> done by Miyazaki. I was like, That'd be really amazing if it was all just about cooking and yes. there would be some good visuals on on an airship. <laughs> yes, um, but uh, no, What's I next? like you guys. You guys did a really, really, really good job on that one. Thank you. Yeah, bringing the A game in round two was that round two? Round three. Was, round, was three. round three. Okay. Uh, here for round four, we have a historical slash biopic slash quote unquote based on real events. Okay, not so uh, much my A game on this one. Not this is like my D game. Starring Chris <laughs> Pratt, directed by Brian Singer. Okay, yeah. This one like once it was inspired real events, basically I found the real event that I thought deserved a movie. And, yes. yeah, I, I, and I did the same thing. I so. figured that's what would happen is you would pick a real event to to inspire the story and then you'd write something. 
I was, we'll see how this goes. <laughs> I was hoping you'd one of you if would have more confidence in this one. You, you write something, you mean you copy something out of Wikipedia? Then <laughs> I nailed it. A little disappointed. <laughs> I was expecting more of the I'm loosely sorry. based on true well, events. I was expecting mine has mine has the benefit of being loosely based on real events in that the star of my piece may have. Overpromoted his role. <laughs> That's another way to describe. <laughs> like some historians say, mm, is, he's is got this, a reputation that maybe he hasn't earned. Is this John Smith? It is not. No. Okay, you're up. <laughs> All right. Uh, this I, I've got um, a couple different title options. Tell me which one you like the best. There is the War Magician or the Magic Gang. Oh, I know where you're going with this, yes. which I do appreciate. I'm glad we picked the same thing. About. Okay, we didn't pick the. Uh, yeah, we after that. we go through this, tell me which one you like. Because Joseph and I have talked. About yeah. a historical film with okay. this sort of premise. So, I, I, in looking into this, I found out there is one in pre-production. It uh, okay. isn't filming yet, but it does star Benedict Cumberbatch. All right. So Chris Pratt is Jasper Maskelin, the war magician. During World War II, Maskelin used his skills as an illusionist and stage magician to help Great Britain. The film follows Maskelin's rise to popularity as a magician, even as he sees Europe creeping towards another war. When World War II begins, Maskelin offers offers his services to the royal engineers. They are understandably skeptical that a stage magician can help the cause until he performs an illusion that convinces them a German warship is sailing down the Thames. Is that how you say that? Um, Thames. 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 Yeah. As I was about to say, I'm like, ah, this is going to sound wrong. Whatever I say here <laughs> is wrong. <laughs> you get Thames, I get Cecil B. DeMille. Okay. <laughs> uh, eventually, uh, now that he's been hired by the Royal Engineers, Maskelin works with a group of 14 assistants who are dubbed the Magic Gang. They make Jeeps look like tanks, make tanks look like supply trucks, uh, and other things to fool Germans. They make Germans believe that a canal is three miles west of its actual location so that they bomb the wrong target. But the biggest task of his career is in 1942, when he must make a German field marshal believe the British are attacking from the south, when in reality they are attacking from the north. Wow. <laughs> uh, to do this, the Magic Gang build fake tanks, fake rail- rail- railway lines, fake radio conversations to be intercepted, and fake water lines in the south, while disguising 1,000 tanks that are approaching from the north. Disclaimer. Masculine. May have really inflated his role in all this. But that is, <laughs> that is nothing new for a movie that is, quote, inspired by real events. Yes. Unquote. Yes. So he wrote his own uh, biography uh, <laughs> explaining this. And uh, there have been a few other books that have, like, taken that biography and written about it. But recently, it seems some historians have looked back and said, no, no, no. <laughs> but I am focusing on the wonderful version of events where okay. magicians uh, and stage illusionists trick German field generals. I like that. There, there are a lot of really fascinating historical details that can that can go into this. Um, I think there's an episode of Ninety Nine Percent Invisible that discusses um, the audio, sound. Yeah, the that's audio, so. The audio that was such a great episode where their their job was to project sound that made. The enemy think there was troop movements where there wasn't. Yeah, and, and that's they one had of the to, things that they had I love to make those it sound things. like like tank treads on the ground in that particular area in the wind and and all those details. Mm-hmm. Um, I also recently learned, and I can't remember what podcast I was I was hearing this on, but um, they're in uh, in Africa during one of the wars. Um, I think it was Africa. It could have been the Middle East. Um, it was considered good luck. Something about about camel droppings was good luck, and so tanks would try to like clip camel poop if they saw it in the desert and so the enemy started making landmines that looked like camel poop <laughs> and then the tanks realized that and so they'd only drive through camel poop that looked at looked like a tank had driven through it and so then they started making mines that looked like camel poop that a tank had oh driven through <laughs> and it was just like this cycle of deception and recognizing it and it was all based on like this this lucky thing about um you know, camel poop. I always try to step poop when I see it. <laughs> <laughs> Just for luck. Well, it could be a landmine. Okay. Uh, my, I, I can never resist a great story of survival. And uh, so this is the story of Mauro Prosperi, an Italian police officer and modern pentathlete. When I think of Mauro Pros, how do you say that? Prosperi. Prosperi. When I hear that name, you the, think the Chris face Pratt. In my exactly, head is Chris Pratt. <laughs> I know. <laughs> well, we could call him uh, Mark Prosperous or something. Okay. When you hear this story, 
you just think this needs to be made into a movie. Okay. So I'm reading directly from Wikipedia. I'm sorry. If I lose for this, I'm 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 willing to make it. You're you not ha- disqualified. You me. have to hear this story. All right, real quick. I will just say a lot of my information came from magictricks.com slash warmagician. Okay. For, for mine. Okay. Prosperi, a keen endurance runner, took part in the 1994 Marathon de Sable, uh, the Marathon of the Sands in Morocco. Partway through the six-day, 233-kilometer event... So this is 140 miles across the desert. Why? Partway through the six-day, 233-kilometer event, a sandstorm caused Mauro and his cousin, James Duchkin, to lose uh, to lose their way. But Mauro and James got separated. So this huge sandstorm comes in. He decides, rather than just hunkering down and waiting for the sandstorm to pass, as all of the other runners did, he just decides to keep running. Loses his way. He ended up disoriented and ran in the wrong direction, ultimately, ultimately running several hundred kilometers into Algeria. After 24 hours, he ran out of food and water. He arrived at, at an abandoned Muslim shrine with the corpse of a holy man in it and survived by drinking his own urine. He found bats on the low ceilings, which he decapitated, and then ate the guts and drank the blood from, and he waited for rescue. A helicopter and a plane passed, but he failed to be seen. Not wishing to die a long-drawn-out death, Prosperi attempted to commit suicide in the shrine by slitting his wrists with a knife he had with him. The attempt failed. Lack of water had caused Prosperi's blood to thicken and ultimately clotted the wound. He then regained his composure and followed... That probably took a little bit. (laughs) When you're low enough to commit suicide, that failed. And followed some advice that he had heard... To set his compass to the direction of the early morning clouds and walk towards them, he walked in the desert and ate reptiles, insects, and cacti from dried wadis before stumbling on an oasis with a footprint next to it, and then some goats, and then a little girl who ran away towards a tent with women in it who gave him goat's milk and laid him in the shade outside. After nine days alone in the desert, he was found and taken to an Algerian military camp, and from there to a hospital. He was 186 miles off route and had lost 40 pounds in body weight. He received a hero's welcome back home in Italy and media clamor. Prosperi later entered the race again in 1998, but was halted by a severely stubbed toe (laughs) and did not finish the race. He then re-entered the race again in 2012, and completed the race in 34 and a half hours in 131st place. The end. So Tell me that does not need to be made into a movie. He, when, he was born in 1955. So he was, in 2012, he was... Old. Don't do math live. Stop, stop doing math live. No, no live math. <laughs> 55, 65, 70, no, he was, 85, he was 95, 57. 2005. He 2016, he would have been 57 years old. Wow. That's, That's kind of, quite a story. Yeah. I like the twist about the sub toe vest. <laughs> <laughs> and I, that could be done by Chris Pratt. But I, <laughs> I am glad that he came back again and did finish it. Yes. After the stub toe got him. Can you believe that story? Wow. That's... A There's a lot of emotion in the coagulated blood scene. Yeah. That, <laughs> like, that's that's really clotting because it's intense. so thick. Whew. War magician. I did not. Light and fun illusionist. Illusionist. Yeah. yeah. Um, Joseph's is fun. Uh, Todd's is hard. I did not see 127 hours, but I feel like. Did you see Unbreakable? I, did, I didn't did see, see Unbreakable. The film Castaway. But I did. I did. Uh, did you I see The Shallows. I, I, I read Unbroken, so I'm, I'm familiar with that one. But um, oh yeah, Unbroken. It's a heck yeah, of a story. Not Unbreakable. Great film, but not the same film um, as Unbroken. I'm going to go with Todd on this one. Wow! Uh, Joseph's is more fun to watch, but less real. And I think... I think the <laughs> Well, you said inspired by real events, and Hollywood has a long history of not worrying about what's real or not. Yeah. Um, but Todd sounds really compelling. Kudos to whoever wrote that Wikipedia article. It could have been him. 
It was not me. <laughs> no. <laughs> it could have been the guy. Yeah. Mauro. Yeah. yeah. He was like, no, that's not okay. right. It was... I did, did, Thank the, you, The Mauro. guts of the bat. The it, guts it of the bat is yeah. what kept me alive. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it is a uh, two to two tie so far. Wait, All okay. Right. Uh, how did bats get into that <laughs> lone... <laughs> Sanctuary. I don't know. I read several yeah. accounts of the story, no, I, and they all, they all uh, concurred. I'm just wondering about bats, and I know we have a listener who has a PhD studying bats, so maybe you could tell me about okay. how how uh, bold bats are and where they're mm-hmm. able to navigate to and okay. live. Right. That, would, that would be helpful. Because, I mean, they could be eating bugs, which would be in the yeah. desert. Yeah. Or small it's... reptiles and stuff. Yeah. Um, okay. On to... Uh, round five, which is a heist film starring Viola Davis. Okay. <clears throat> directed by Woody Allen. All right. I so, like this round, one. Round five. Who's first on this one? I am. Uh, okay. Yes, Todd's got it. This is called The Resurrectionists. Uh, it's 1820. This is, uh, so this is Woody Allen. We're going a little, we're going dark comedy here with Woody Allen. Okay. So not none of his, uh, comedy comedies. One of his dark comedies. It's 1820, and the black community of New York is furious because white doctors Remington Walton and Sebastian Cox, possibly played by Cary Grant and Clark Gable, are paying th- <laughs> are paying thieves to steal black bodies from segregated graveyards for autopsies at fancy hospitals. But outrage turns to calculated planning when brilliant nurse Martha Lazarus, played by Viola Davis... Finds, name. <laughs> finds that the body of her dearly beloved father is stolen the night he is buried. Incensed at the wrong done to her family and feeling justified both by decency and science, Mary and her brother Joshua, played by Denzel Washington, hatch a hilarious plan of their own, that of stealing and dissecting the bodies of every known relative of Walton and Cox. Oh, so it's not, we're going to stop them, it's eye for an eye. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> See how they feel. And I just want to say, this is a real thing that happened in the early 1800s, people stealing bodies, yeah. uh, and you can find all kinds of hilarious stories, of, I mean, like crazy things that people would do to try to keep their uh, their deceased loved ones from being stolen, and yeah. even crazier things that thieves would do to, to, to try to steal them. And yes, if I this could be very very funny. I, yeah, I was gonna say if I've ever heard a source of comedy that is, you know, pure, it is grave robbing. Yes, <laughs> grave robbing for the bodies. Well, for... I have to say where this this the inspiration for this come from is when Viola Davis won. Uh, is it her Emmy speech? Um, she gets up on the thing. She's weeping, and she says, "I have to say that the greatest, the single greatest source." of uh, inspiration for us as artists has to be the graveyard. And the reason that she says this is because she's saying that all these great stories of the people that came before us, and this is because mm-hmm. she's starred in a historical uh, film. Right. So she's saying, you know, all of these, all of our ancestors have given us all these great stories. And that and one so, thought sparked huh. to Viola me. Davis. Graveyard. S- graveyard. Stealing bodies. Okay. That was her idea. Mm-hmm. That's obviously what she was hoping so would <laughs> pick up that baton and run with it. Yes, <laughs> she's like Hollywood. I gave you, I gave you the good. Idea. And she called uh, Denzel Washington, "Oh, Captain, my Captain," in the same speech. So there you go. Mine's a little different. <laughs> <laughs> really? Yeah. Yeah. Mine is called "One Last Heist in August." Viola Davis plays Melissa Monticello, a society cat burglar who has been retired with her ill-gotten gains for 10 years. She's just been living the high life. She made enough money. She got out of the game while she was at the top of it. Does she live a high social life or a secluded high life? Uh, secluded, very comfortable life. Okay. Like, she's not, like, attending parties, but she's got every everything, everything you could hope for. Does yeah. she, like, attendance or... Uh, no, but she does have, like, you know, priceless artifacts surrounding her. <laughs> and, and, you know, fine art. Nice, nice, nice yeah. house with nice Yeah, stuff nice art, yeah. But she does her own grocery shopping. Yes, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, she, she's, she gets the pleasure out of the art and, and objects with which she has surrounded herself with, not through, like, mm-hmm. social interactions. Uh, one morning, though, she wakes up to find that literally, 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 <laughs> all of her possessions, except the bed in which she is lying, have been stolen. <laughs> <laughs> this can only mean one thing. 
Her old partner, Benji Carmichael, has escaped from jail and taken his revenge on her because he got nabbed during their last job together. They were going to do one last heist. He got picked up. She escaped. Benji Carmichael is, of course, played by Owen Wilson. Because <laughs> it's a Woody Allen film. It's a Woody Allen film, yes. Uh, Melissa Monticello will not stand for this, so it's time to get the gang together to steal back the things from Benji that she and Benji had originally stolen together from other people. Side note, I love a good getting the gang together montage, and we're going to have a great one here. So, Billy Crystal is Benji's estranged father, Carter Carmichael. <laughs> Uh, Scarlett Johansson is a hacker known as the Countess. Joaquin Phoenix is Slim, the best getaway driver around. Lucy Liu is Be- Beverly Cleverly. Wait a second, wait a second. Beverly Cleverly! <laughs> <laughs> wait, I have one question about yeah. Joaquin Phoenix. Yeah. Like, normal Joaquin Phoenix, or is he eccentric Joaquin Phoenix for this one? Uh, he... he... Which one do you like better? <laughs> well, uh, I had another character who was mute. I could just move that over to Joaquin <laughs> Joaquin Phoenix. I make him eccentric uh, yeah, and mute, so, but best getaway yeah. driver. Uh, but I'm going to, like, yeah, let's just say normal Joaquin Phoenix, uh, but but quirky. Quirky Joaquin Phoenix. Not, okay. not uh, you know, uber-eccentric. I'm making a fake documentary that I'm p- pitching is real, but it's not, and everyone knows it's not, but I'm going to stick with it for a year. Joaquin right. Phoenix. So, so just typical weird Joaquin yes, Phoenix, yeah. not yeah. beard Weird. Yes. Walking Phoenix. <laughs> weird, weird. I like that. All right, so Lucy Liu. Weird, weird, walking Phoenix and Beverly Cleverly. Uh, yes, Lucy Liu is Beverly Cleverly, the security systems expert, and Chris Evans is Mute Nelly, the muscle for the group. Together, they are going to go steal Melissa Monticello's stolen goods back. I love this. <laughs> this is great. I, Joseph's 100%. Okay, all right, all right. okay, okay. Uh, but. Oh. <laughs> Like, I'm just laughing as I think about this whole thing. Oh, that's a good gang. Man, we're coming down to the wire on this. And what are, what's their final, what's their tally? Right? Uh, three, three to two? Three to two. Joseph has the lead with uh, two remaining films. Oh, one of these I do not feel great about. So, the uh, the next one, number six, is our uh, swords and sandals, you know, semi-biblical epic in the, uh, the Cecil B. DeMille tradition. Uh, you've got like your Ben Hur's and your Ten Commandments and and all that, starring Chris Hemsworth. Not a stretch. <laughs> and it is directed by Joss Whedon, which <laughs> I mean, I don't know that I've ever seen a cynical swords and sandals film. <laughs> cynical, <still> sarcastic. <laughs> so, good luck. <laughs> uh, he also does inspiring. Uh, I will just say this is. The one that I... After the sci-fi one, I probably had the hardest time with this one. And I'm not sure I landed in the right spot, but we're going to find out. Okay. The title of my film is going to be Adonai, even though it stars Chris Hemsworth, and that is a feeble name. You'll see why momentarily. Okay. Chris Hemsworth, who knows a thing or two about playing a god, is Hercules, but a Hercules who has lost his swagger. Full of self-doubt and guilt, Hercules can no longer perform the great feats he used to, not because he's actually lost his power, just he's mentally and emotionally not there. He's just... Down and out, Hercules. Allison Brie is Adonai, a no-nonsense Corinthian who needs help obtaining Harpy, the sword Perseus used to decapitate Medusa. You see, one of the snakes from Medusa's head survived Perseus's attack and has turned her family and many of the citizens of Corinth to stone. After consulting an oracle, she knows that if she can decapitate this snake's head with the same sword that severed it from Medusa, the snake's blood will restore, restore her people to life. She has plans, but she needs muscle. The average run-of-the-mill Greek hero, who are a dime a dozen, are below her standards. So she seeks out the drunk, disheveled, disenchanted Hercules, who is living in a pigsty in Argos. Many snarky one-liners ensue as Adonai forces Hercules to get his act together and help her claim the sword from Scylla, the nymph-turned-monster who has claimed Harpy as her own. Okay, if they can make Gods of Egypt, they can make this movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's some... It sounds like uh, Snow White and the Huntsman in... I haven't seen I it, see but it. I'm not going to say it's exactly Chris Hemsworth character. Well, I mean, uh, I mean, oh, okay. Falling, uh, like at first, I said Hercules <laughs> without his power. I was like, no, wait, that's Thor. That's like I saw that. That, that is the third, first Thor movie. Right. So I had to, to say he's still got his power. He's just emotionally not there. That's exactly what happens in Snow White. I haven't movie. seen it. He's I, drunk. He's like 
in a tavern, drunk, and like lives in a pigsty, and then huh. Snow White gets him. See, I was imagining a sequence where uh, where uh, uh, I'm not saying it's bad. No, I'm and just that's saying set, that's set in you know pseudo medieval times. This is pseudo Greek times. Well, I was imagining a sequence where Adonai uh, is dunking Hercules' head in a bucket, like in Princess Bride. Yes, they're trying to sober up the scene. Does that happen in Snow White? Um, possibly. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, I, I didn't realize I'd lean that. It's okay. That it's okay. It's okay. It. It's okay. If you don't know it, I mean... Yeah, it's not stealing. It's just it's simultaneous. Not, yes. Yeah. It means somebody else looked at Chris Hemsworth and thought, he, we he could be a do this. strong, drunk guy. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Which, again, is Thor. Which, by the way... I have I I am <laughs> grasping at straws right now because I am throwing a total Hail Mary okay. on this. Okay. Well, I, <laughs> I didn't throw a Hail Mary. I more just kind of bunted down the baseline <laughs> no. with my thing, like, tried and true, Chris Hemsworth God. No, this is a, this is a total Hail Mary. So, this film is simply called The Odyssey. That's all. <laughs> Just The Odyssey. This is simply the greatest heroic epic of all time. Odysseus is the hero against which all other heroes are measured. Who better to retell? But here's the twist. Here's the twist. The screenplay is not written by Joss Whedon. The screenplay is written by C.S. Lewis, who we know is dead, is dead, (laughs) (laughs) but can take a Greek myth and turn it into something absolutely amazing for a modern audience. I have a question, Todd. Yes. Are you going to explain how C.S. Lewis has done that? Are you just going to say he did it? (laughs) Who better? (laughs) But Joss Whedon is directing it. But Joss Whedon is directing it. And uh, and uh, so we've got casting: Odysseus, Chris Hemsworth; Penelope, Gal Gadot; uh, Telemachus, Joseph Gordon-Levitt; Athena, Zoe Saldana; Poseidon, Idris Elba; Zeus, Daniel Craig; uh, Antinous, who is the bad, uh, the worst of the suitors, Joel Kinnaman; uh, Amphimonus, who is the sort of nicest of the mean suitors, uh, Christian Bale. Uh, Eumaeus, who is the old uh, the old servant who recognizes Odysseus at the end, Morgan Freeman. Calypso, Jennifer Lawrence, and Circe, Penelope Cruz. I love the fact that in this instance, you actually went with all living okay. actors, but like I had a dead writer. Yes. You <laughs> <laughs> made up for it. <laughs> So you kept uh, the 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 loose rules of this where where dead people can be active yes. participants, but but kept it behind the camera. I just I recognize, as do both of you, I think that the Odyssey has some tricky things in it that make it hard to work for a modern audience all the time. And C.S. Mm-hmm. Lewis, with Till We Have Faces, proved that he can take a Greek myth and turn it into something truly amazing. <laughs> I think, and, uh, I think that's one of the best stories that you guys have done on this podcast is Till We Have Faces. It's a and great, I want to see episode. the Odyssey done with C.S. Lewis, and I wouldn't mind Joss Whedon directing it. I So, so earlier we talked about an illusionist, and I love the trick that you have pulled here <laughs> of not explaining what is actually <laughs> done, <laughs> just that it if, will if be C.S. done. Well, it's not. <laughs> if it's C.S. Lewis does it, it has to be good. <laughs> I was thinking about that, too. I was like... Okay. It's a little slight of hand. I, I told you. Don't, don't look over here. Look at this all-star cast. Look this is a Hail Mary. Look at the C.S. Lewis name. This is a Hail Mary. And so the, the question is, does Andrew have enough faith in C.S. Lewis and this cast with this director that this will be an incredible film? I do not. No! Okay. <laughs> it's, it's Joseph, which means Joseph has the win. Uh, even the uh, the seventh film. Literally uh, an insurmountable lead. Literally <laughs> an insurmountable lead. All right, what but, is our final it. film? I, I'm sorry, there just wasn't enough content. Okay, all right, it's okay. Uh, but we do have uh, one Ooh. one last film. And this is top genre. Now that, now that Joseph is safe. Yeah. I know, I kept telling myself that, but I really struggled with this one. Uh, the The final film is number seven, a film noir starring Haley Atwell, who you would recognize from um, some Captain America. She's Agent Carter, the first Captain America film, and had the TV series. And the two seasons of a TV show. Mm -hmm. Um, And it is directed by, you guys' favorite, Zack Snyder. (sighs) Another (laughs) auteur. We've had a few auteurs on here. You know a Zack Snyder film when you're seeing it. Yes. (laughs) Uh, it's, It's, in some cases... 
dictated by the fact that you can't actually see yes. what's going on. Like, I think you, you watch the trailers. I can't see. Right. I think somebody did something. All right. So Zach, for anyone who's unfamiliar, Zack Snyder, most famous right now for directing uh, Batman v Superman and Man Batman of Steel. Steel. But he also did Three Hundred. Yeah, he directed the film Watchmen. Watchmen. Uh, Sucker Punch. He's a, he's a very bombastic visual director. Yes, but also lately very dark. Very dark. Yeah. So the film noir is a good fit for him, and stylistically, I don't think this is hard to imagine. If right. it's film noir, Zack Snyder could do it. Uh, uh, film noir is not noted for slow motion, and he is. <laughs> I worked it in in my head. Oh, shoot. <laughs> I'm sorry, I have no slow motion. <laughs> Olivia Tuesday is a Washington-based reporter for a small-time British news agency. Okay, she's a blogger. <laughs> Uh, one night, she gets an anonymous tip about a congressman who might be having an affair. Uh, this is just the kind of sleazy dirt Tuesday loves to write about, so she goes to scope out a uh, seedy motel outside D.C. Uh, the next thing she knows, Olivia wakes up inside the hotel room where the congressman's tryst was supposed to take place. She is covered in blood and horrified to find the congressman lying next to her, dead. Confused and scared, Tuesday escapes from the apartment just before the police arrive. And that sets off a convoluted chase as Olivia tries to track down the congressman's real killer before the dogged DC detective Frank Trapp, played by Robert Downey Jr., throws her behind bars. Or the mafia, led by boss Angela Martinelli, played by Sofia Coppola, buries her in concrete. Along the way, Olivia will uncover a trail of corruption that leads to the highest levels of American government. There's a lot of plot in that one. I hope that doesn't suit your fancy edge. (laughs) (laughs) An abundance of plot, huh? Mine uh, mine might be a little lighter on plot. (laughs) More on tone. Uh. (laughs) Because I was able to imagine tone. Yeah, yeah. Imagining plot is... Um, I've tried, I'll, I'll just tell you from somebody who's tried the uh, no plot. (laughs) Doesn't really work well with this, uh, with this judge. Okay. So, Haley at... Oh, mine's called... Uh, what was the title of yours? Jeez. Oh, it's called The American Rome, which is what they call DC. Okay. Mine is called The Dead City. Oh. That's a good title. I like the title. Uh, I don't have a story to match. <laughs> Can I use your title for my story? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's yours. Haley Atwell plays Red Color, the best private eye... <laughs> <laughs> I enjoy naming these characters so much. I know, you're so good at it. Uh, Haley Atwell plays Red Calor, the best private eye in 1940s Los Angeles who can't get a client. Alone and drinking one rainy night, a sad, lonely man named... <laughs> I, thought you, I thought you were saying, can't get a client, alone and drinking. <laughs> okay. let, me, let me just, for the listeners, let me just start this over. Okay. Haley Atwell. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's late. We've gone off the rails. Okay. Haley Atwell plays Red Calor, the best private eye in 1940s Los Angeles who can't get a client. Period. Alone. This is a now new scene. Alone and drinking one rainy night, a sad, lonely man. (laughs) Bring him back. Bring him back. made it this far, and now it's just gone. You can't, you can't, can't get to like five more minutes. Alright. Alone and drinking... Is Vixen? <laughs> <laughs> Probably should be. Alright. Alone and drinking one rainy night, a sad, lonely man named Du Solitaire... <laughs> what? Du Solitaire, who is played by Chris Pine, knocks on her door. He's disheveled and has clearly been crying. He needs help. Soon, though the reasons remain a bit unclear, there are massive chase scenes across puddle-laden streets where lots of water splashes up. <laughs> there are fist fights in a bakery where lots of flour gets thrown artistically through the air. <laughs> are these the slow motion shots? There are lots, yeah, lots of slow mo on these. Uh, there are gunfights near some grain silos. <laughs> Where every missed shot makes a bullet hole and grain grain shoots out in slow motion. (laughs) And uh, there is one expositional scene where a whole conversation is held outside on a very windy and rainy night. And there's a finale where Red Calor operates a construction crane and Du Solitaire swings from the wrecking ball as the bad guy drives a forklift at a construction site. 
<clears throat> Note, this is all about style. Uh, all the It's all black and white, but with every gunshot, there are flashes of yellow. With every slow-mo punch that lands, there's a Matrix-style freeze frame with red replacing the white. And every raindrop splatter causes a splash of rainbow color, etc., etc. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you did put in a few sequences. <laughs> no reason for it. <laughs> the reasons remain unclear. <laughs> <laughs> Just fight in a bakery so the flower can go flying artistically. Oh, jeez. Oh, <laughs> you know what? With what I have, we can actually borrow Todd's plot and pretty much <laughs> plug it in. Put the stylistic elements of mine onto your actual plot. I like this. This is good. I'm gonna, I'm Does gonna that vote, mean I win? I'm going to vote for that. So Todd's plot... <laughs> What? Just lay over the Zack Snyder onto it. Unbelievable. <laughs> I don't even get a point out of that? You do get a point out of that. But so does he. Uh, he gets like half a point, but he's already winning. Oh, he can have a point. <laughs> you, you'll give him... Yeah, I'll give him the point. The, the point and a half, and I mean, he'll still lose. In my defense, Todd, tell me the plot of Batman v Superman. <laughs> <laughs> it's very Zack Snyder. That's what Joseph did. It's very Zack Snyder. Um, nice work, guys. That was oh. fun. Thank you, yeah. I enjoy these elevator pitch episodes. Get to flex some creative muscles. And this one we can actually reuse, um, unlike the, the TV series adaptation. Oh, yeah, yeah. We probably don't want to focus on doing another adaptation elevator pitch special. We could do another elevator pitch special about TV series at some point, I'm sure. But we'd need a different premise. Yeah. Um, but no, nice, nice work. Uh, an earned victory, Joseph. Thank you. Uh, I still think... Worthy Todd competitor the there, lead. Todd. Yeah, and our overall. overall? Uh, oh, I don't know. I feel like I'm on a I, on I'm a long losing streak. <laughs> well, you, you had an early lead. I had an early winning streak that but, was uh, now replaced by a long uh, losing streak. Enjoyable stuff. I would actually, at the very least, go see some of these films. In the dollar. <laughs> in the dollar. <laughs> I would see some of these films in the dollar theater. The I, I would not pay full price for 14 out of 14 of these, I think. <laughs> but that's just because, I mean, I don't spend a lot of money going out to see the movies that much in theaters. It's also because not all of these were home runs. We know that. Todd and I are not going to kid ourselves. But I'd say some of these like deserve to be made, considering some of what's been made <laughs> in the last couple of okay. years. There's, so, some, there's some rough... Crummy films. Let me let me find this real quick because I right after we discussed. So I want to hear. I want to know what is your favorite overall film from Joe and your favorite overall film from me. Okay. Uh, what stands out in your run, mind? Run through yours real quick for me. Okay. Just so, so, so I, I have. I have uh, idea. Joseph's looking something else up. I've got so, uh, The Rock as the Samoan King uh, right. fighting Nazis. Right. I've got Haley Atwell in the film noir uh, with the, the congressman and yeah, the mafia, yeah, mafia. and uh, Robert Downey Jr. as a DC detective chasing her. Right. I've got the Mayumi living in a dump. Right. I've got Amy Poehler and her socialite friends uh, going to the small town. Uh, I've got this, <laughs> the Odyssey. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I have The Resurrectionists with uh, Viola Davis and Denzel Washington stealing bodies. And I have the story of Mauro Prosperi trying to make his way across the desert. If you say Mauro Prosperi, I will feel very sad. I, I think <laughs> was it's, a, it's the, it is a good story. The Mayumi one. Okay. I, like, I, like, I really would watch that, absolutely. So your favorite of my films was, was one that one. didn't even <laughs> win didn't, its round. This is not the first time this has happened, I think. <laughs> but, yeah, that's... <laughs> I mean, like, we both bring our A game on the same pitch. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's where it happens. It's Winnie the Pooh. It's the Winnie the Pooh one that you lost, and it's still one of the best pitches <laughs> the, anyone's ever done. <laughs> the, 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 the law, Winnie the Pooh law puppets. Yes. It was a uh, Hundred Acre Law. Hundred Acre Law. That was the name of, I couldn't remember the name. Hundred Acre Law. Yeah. His, his ties loosened. Think. Think. <laughs> Think. <laughs> All right. Uh, real quick, before I run down what mine were, I just okay. want to say, so Andrew sent us this list, and we, Todd and I were starting to think of fake pitches to make. And then I came across this CNN news article about Liam Neeson filming in oh some gosh. small town in, in Canada. I can't remember what town it was, but a restaurant there said, Liam Neeson eats free here. And he showed up to get his free meal, because he thought that was funny that some... They heard he was filming there. And then buried in this article, it says, quote... Uh, that Liam Neeson was, quote, uh, in town filming hard powder. <laughs> 
a movie about a snowplow driver looking to avenge his son's death at the hands of drug dealers. And when I saw that, I thought, surely Todd and I could pitch something that whatever executive said hard powder is it, we're making hard powder, would, would green light something that we are, we are pitching. I know. Unbelievable. <laughs> All right, so Andrew just... I, I dare say, Joseph, the one who uh, approved hard powder starring Liam Neeson would approve your Zack Snyder <laughs> film noir film. With no plot. Yeah. Just call style. Uh, and I have to say he, that he when you wrote hard but... powder, I thought that it said Harry Powder. And I was <laughs> really like hoping Harry that Potter that was the name of the... <laughs> Liam Neeson's character is Harry Powder, yes. snowplow <laughs> driver. But yeah, I, I think that executive is not so concerned with substance. Yeah. All right, so Andrew, my pitches were um, my Spielberg rock sci-fi film that you all said was a Ridley Scott sci-fi film. Right. Not inaccurately. <laughs> uh, my Zack Snyder film noir that was just about Zack Snyder's style. Uh, Momoko's Walk, uh, the, the Miyazaki film about the girl in the nature world of all children and walks over to the city world of yeah. all the adults. Uh, the romantic comedy, Wes Anderson won The Lost Art of Trivet Making. <laughs> Uh, my, uh, sword and, uh, the Chris Hemsworth, uh, Hercules and Alison Brie as a Donai, uh, Greek story. Uh, one last heist in August. Uh, <laughs> like that one. <laughs> and then, uh, my, my war magician or magic game, uh, the, the illusionist. Right. Robot. Um, I'm fighting in my head between a couple of them. But I think also the Miyazaki one. It's a strong, like, thematic... It, it seems potent. You know, it's, it's got the themes in there. It's, it seems to suit Miyazaki okay. to have all yeah. that. So Our Miyazaki, I know my best lost to you. Yeah, yeah, the Miyazaki's were brought out the best of us. Yeah, I, th- I think you guys really nailed that. You both embodied... Miyazaki's I'm stuff. shocked that I didn't win the Wes Anderson one, considering I've never seen a Wes Anderson <laughs> film. <laughs> yeah, Joseph... Nailed Wes Anderson with that, but I think yeah, the the Miyazaki um, to me is is some of the strongest. Both of you were familiar enough with it and really you know embraced it. And and if Joseph's had been um, as weak as I thought his first three sentences were, <laughs> it was going to Todd's. But then he really pulled it around with the other with the with the okay. city. All right. Well, listeners, feel free to leave us a note on Facebook about any of these that you enjoyed or if any of the premises that we were provided sounded interesting to you and fired anything for you, feel free to write something up and let us know what your uh, Daisy Ridley, uh, Miyazaki, uh, what was it? Coming, coming of, age, of age. Coming of age story would look like. I mean, it's really hard to think of a Miyazaki coming of age story about a young girl. That was a really stress. <laughs> I, I, I made that an easy pitch for you. You should have done Miyazaki and Dwayne the Rock Johnson. <laughs> All right. Uh, links to things uh, that we've talked about in this episode are available at protagonistpodcast.com, and that's also where you can find a list of all of our shows, and you can suggest stories or characters for us to discuss or give us any comments or corrections by emailing feedback at protagonistpodcast.com. We're all also on Twitter. You can follow uh, at protagonistpod, at Todd K. Mack, at Jay Dorowski, and our producer, Andrew, is at Andrew underscore Dorowski. And our Facebook fan page is facebook.com slash protagonist podcast and there you can find really good conversations and we enjoy all our interactions with listener uh, listeners there if you would like to support the show financially there are a few different ways you can do that you can buy a topic for us to discuss or show your appreciation with a monetary donation by clicking on the support link at our homepage or just go directly to patreon.com slash protagonist all supporters on patreon receive access to our special quick casts which are shorter episodes in which we break down newly released films or trailers and I had someone suggest to me that we spell out Patreon. That is P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com. Patreon.com slash protagonist. You can also go to protagonistpodcast.com slash Amazon to make all of your Amazon purchases. Just a reminder, this will look like regular Amazon and cost you nothing more, but we get a small kickback from Amazon whenever you do that. And you know what, guys? Amazon can afford that. <laughs> They can give us a small percentage. And finally, uh, don't forget to sign up for a 30-day free trial of Audible.com by going to audibletrial.com slash protagonist. Thanks again for listening, and we'll be back next week to discuss another great character and a great story. So long. So long. Hello.
Hello, everyone, and welcome to the protagonist. <laughs> Hello, everyone, and welcome to the protagonist podcast. <laughs> How are our levels, week, Andrew? Well, I, okay, and we then... look at a great character <laughs> in a great right. story. I'm 